Good morning. Good morning. It is great to be with you, uh, see some old friends, and uh, meet some of you and uh, for the very first time. But uh, every time I get the opportunity to teach, I used to teach every Sunday morning. In fact, at one point, somebody reminded me of it this week, I taught seven times on Sunday. That's a lot. And I can't do that anymore. And I get uh, uh, periodically invited. Uh, usually, this is a sign of where I am in my life. Usually the topic they assign me is either legacy or suffering. <laughs> so I'm, at the, I'm, at, I'm winding it down. Um, but Luke called, and uh, to come to Gateway, I, I love coming here. I feel comfortable here, it, and, and I know that's totally subjective. It feels right, but I also have such a fondness and admiration for your leadership team, and especially for Luke, I've had the opportunity, as he said, to just watch how God has gifted him and uh, used him and uh, just developed him in, in a way that's the beginning it's trending that way. I can only imagine uh, what it'll be like um, 20 years from now. It'll be remarkable. But when he called, I asked him, I, I always do this, because I get a, some Sunday requests, and I'll say, what's the date and what's the passage? And so I had a guy a couple weeks ago, gave me, he said, the date is such and such. I said, perfect, we can do it. What's the passage? And he told me, I said, got it, nailed it. And then two weeks later, he called and he switched to some passage. I'd, I know I've read it, but I didn't know anything about it. And so he did a bait and switch. Luke didn't do that. He gave me the passage that he read you. And I said, I'm there like this. Um, I don't know how it sounds to say this, and I don't mean it at all in a, in a self-serving way, but this is like right in, in my wheelhouse. This is what I really, really care about. The, the overarching principle here. It was 25 years ago, literally this week, that a group of guys got together and started talking about maybe God would start a church. And that church then began in November 25 years ago. It was called East Valley Bible Church. And we didn't know, I, I say this now, we didn't know anything. We, we didn't know, we didn't have structure. We didn't, we had, we had this big black book and we did the best we could with it. Uh, we didn't have anybody in the community that came along. I'm not saying what was me. I'm just saying we had to figure it out. So we thought a mission statement would make sense. And we developed what I think is like one of the greatest mission statements of all time. And maybe that's because I wrote it. <laughs> but, but we simply said this. Okay, that we will help one another study God's word and live biblically changed lives. From the get-go, we were about two things. Studying this word, 
but not for the sake of being able to say, I ran a category on, on Jeopardy and Bible study or, or go to, I got, I got invited not long ago to somebody's house and they're going to play a game and they pull out one of these Bible board games. Well, I'm useless. I don't, I don't, I don't know much of that stuff. I want to study the Word so that I know the God of the Word and that He transforms my life. And this book and this passage just fit right in that. Paul writes to Titus, I, I realize, I made a note, you're two-thirds of the way roughly through the study of the book. This is about the time you forget why you're studying it or you don't remember all of the introduction, or you remember some of it. But, but I love this. Paul writes to a guy by the name of Timothy, and so when we talk about mentor-protege, we use iconically Paul and Timothy. But Titus is right there too. In, in, in chapter one uh, of, of Titus, verse four, Paul says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. He says, essentially, in Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to my son Timothy. The, these were guys who came along. They're, they're part of the pastoral letters that are a little bit different than the rest of Paul's writing. We're told by one author, they're very personal, they're very affectionate. And Paul's writing, and then we get the content and the context. He's writing to Titus, Titus who joined him in all likelihood on the second missionary journey. Some guys, I like this kind of stuff, but it's scary to do. No way to prove it. Folklore says, and I'm, I'm betting Probably week one, Luke spent 10 minutes explaining why this isn't true. So I, I don't know if that, but folklore suggests that possibly Titus was Luke's brother. Luke who wrote the, the gospel. What gospel? I always check, because you can tell if there's people from Tucson, they, they say John right there. Okay? So, so he, he, he wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. He, he accompanies Paul, and, and now Paul writes to him. He accompanied Paul, and has mentioned, I want to make sure, I think nine times Paul mentions Titus in the book of 2 Corinthians. And the parallel between the church at Corinth and this island church at Crete is, is pretty familiar. So just to break down the book real simply, verses one through four, chapter one are an introduction. And then Paul writes, chapter one, verse 15 through 16, about orderliness in the church. And then he gets, in chapter two, to godliness at home and where we are today, righteousness in this world. Crete was an island that's 155 miles long, ranges with just a fraction to 35 miles wide. It was taken by the Romans in 65 BC as a military strategic position. And Paul is strategic. 
He understands that for the spread of the gospel, this would be a wonderful jumping off point. Now, imagine with me, if you would, that you've got an island that's filled with sailors and military guys and then all the stuff that goes with that. It'd be a tough place. It'd be a difficult place. Not unlike Corinth. Corinth, whenever a Corinthian was depicted in a Greek play, if he was a Corinthian, if he was a male, he was a drunkard. If he was a woman, she was a loose woman. Well, that training in Corinth prepares Titus perfectly for this place. The place he's at right here. It was a group of people who had just come to Christ when Suzanne was speaking and doing her testimony. She, she mentioned that she'd been around church, but, but not really a believer. That wouldn't have happened in Crete. They had nothing to do with church. Totally pagan. And they came out of that background, and now Paul's ministering to those people. Paul's coming to those people and he's saying, here's this life and we live in this crazy, goofy, we would use words like secular world, pagan world. How do I operate in that world? And the answer that Paul gives them is the scripture. The Bible's real, relevant. Again, not... Howie Hendricks, who's an old professor at, at Dallas Seminary, had all these sayings that sounded cool 50 years ago. He said, we're not excited by truth. We can be embalmed by it. I can just study the truth and take it in, but never let it transform my life. Paul says how we live is important. I've had... and, and and I never, I never know how much to say, and I probably say too much. But I've had so many physical problems in the last four years. And six weeks ago, uh, I had uh, prostate cancer surgery. So it's just, it, it just keeps coming. I, my, I have a, a, a granddaughter who just had a birthday yesterday. And when she was born, I said to her mom, about the time she gets out of diapers, I'll be going into them. And, um, well, we're both right on schedule. Okay? So I'm talking to a guy the other day, and he uses a phrase, it makes total sense, he called lifestyle medicine. And, and here's what he said. You, you've got your pills, although I don't think that many, and you've had your surgeries, and you've got your issues, you've got all this stuff. But Tom, there's lifestyle. There's beyond just what the surgeon can do. Okay? And then he got into things like eating. I said, well, I love to eat. And he said, correctly. Okay, so they went. And exercising. I I tell you, this is so so cool. I'm getting ready. I've been home. I've been pretty well locked down for like three or four weeks. I'm going to get in the car the other day. 
I had my phone, my glasses, a book, and the TV remote control. How <laughs> bad is this? I mean, what has happened to me? But, 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 but all of a sudden, that's what I saw. When, when God saved me and delivered me, he told me through his word that because I was his kid, I had to live like it. I'm supposed to be different. Now, really important here, because some Christians must understand that. I'm supposed to be different. Not odd. Okay? <laughs> different. We date differently. We work differently. We act differently at the gym. We drive differently. Jesus said that people should see our good works. I'm supposed to be able to look at you and see your faith. Now, we don't want to just focus on these works. These works flow from this sound doctrine. As practical as this book is, tucked right in the middle, chapter 3, verses 5, and I could really go 4, he talks, about, he talks about the incarnation. He talks about the fact that we've been saved and why and how. And our purpose now is to live a life that reflects that. He's warned us earlier in chapter 1 about verse 10 of rebellious men and empty talkers and deceivers, false teachers, Sound doctrine is so important to us to get it right so we live right. He didn't deliver us to be good. He delivered us to be holy. And so when Lou called and said, how about this topic? I said, this is perfect. Especially, it seems to me, in the world we live in. I think the parallel to, to kind of the reception of the people at Crete is so similar to us. He begins, at least our passage, chapter 3, verse 1, remind, it's an imperative. It applies not just to what's in this certain section, but this entire book. It's continuous, it's persistent. We live this way all the time. He says this, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authority, to be obedient, to be ready for, and it's a phrase Paul uses, I forgot, I counted six, seven times in the book, good deeds. Now, the minute I read this, I said, here's a rabbit trail, government, politics, especially the environment we're in now. I've never seen it like this. I'm kind of a political guy. Paul's given us a warning here. He's not saying, don't get involved in all that politics. You go figure that stuff out. But he's saying, as your relationship to the government and frankly to all authority in your life is to submit to the role you're in. Now, that's a problematic word. Wives, 
submit to your husbands. I've taught this in ladies' groups, been invited in. Um, I have one, one of my favorite story. I didn't tell it first hour. I've invited, and the topic is, what does a wife, husband need from a wife? And I thought, all right, I can do that. So I said, ladies, before I start, let's just do a discussion. Ladies, what do you think a husband needs from his wife? And hands went up and they went ding, 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 ding. You know all the hands, ding, ding, ding. And, and I said, hey, I really studied. I got notes, but those are all the things I said. So it sounds to me like you already know what they need. Maybe the question is, why don't you do it? And that changed the whole tone and... and uh, <laughs> Everybody went in a different direction and freed me up. But, but I, didn't, I thought that was a good question. Well, here's how I'll go. Wives submit to your husband. Real time. Real, I'm going to do this real time. Wives submit to your husband. I have a question. What if he's a jerk? What if he's wrong? What if he's not wise? What if he's a man? I mean, that's kind of what, that's kind of the, that's kind of what they're saying. And I thought, wow. And, and again, it's early in my days. I thought, wow, these ladies got some issues. But then I taught, real time, submit to your government. I got questions. What if it's bad government? What if it's wasteful government? What if, what if, what if? And I realized, here's the problem. The problem is submit. It doesn't say submit this, then, when. It's the problem of my heart. See, that's what he's getting at. Submit. Obey. Be ready. You're the exception. And it's, and it's not just government. It's at work. Tomorrow, when you're at lunch, and there's five of you from the office, and everybody's talking about how stupid the home office is and how dumb this new order is and how this system is obsolete, you don't participate. It's really tough if you're self-employed, too. But, but, but that's a different thing. But I mean, you don't participate. You're the exception at the homeowners meeting. You're the exception at the jail. I might have got carried away with the homeowners meeting. But but you're the exception. You're different. You're different. Do you hear him? Here, look what he look what he says. Be ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. You're to live differently. That doesn't describe the world we live in. That's one of the problems for me in this presidential election is how childish and immature it is. If he punches me, I'll punch him back. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's not I fight back. It doesn't mean I don't fight. It doesn't mean I don't take a stand. But I, I, know the, I know what you're going to say. The answer to this is yes. But, but generally, it's repulsive to watch this whole exchange. I'm in a conversation the other day, and this guy is going off. And he is funny and clever, and he's nailing it cold, but I'm thinking, that's really rough. And after about five minutes, I realized the guy talking was me. 
I went, wow. Now, let me step back because I need to protect my reputation uh, a little bit. I was talking to a man that's been a friend of mine for over 30 years in a private conversation. So I was very loose with my language, not in terms of vulgarity, but thoughts and communication. But that doesn't justify it. I just want, what a, what a peek into my heart. And secular historians tell us these people on the island of Crete were notoriously turbulent, quarrelsome, and impatient with authority. Doesn't that describe you? We're to malign. Literally, there, there's not malice here. To, to be uncontentious, it's friendly. We're living, that's a radical life. And then he adds, now, now let's get down into the weeds here. We've got, I've got eh, 15 minutes. Verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves. That's us. That, that word foolish is, is an interesting word. It, it means literally to have no sense of perspective. It means that I don't see things as they truly are. That's what we, we were foolish ourselves and disobedient and deceived and enslaved to lust and pleasure and spent our lives in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. After the first service, a gentleman came up, an older guy, and, and I'm going to say my age, and he, he, he said, I'm going to cry. But he said, it was this passage that when I read it, I said, that's me. Paul tells us, Timothy this, in the last days, people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. That's what he's describing. Now, now the key here is he's not describing the world. He's describing you. Complete lack of understanding. Total ignorance regarding how to live. Seeing everything from a worldly perspective. Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. Here's the problem with church people. They become church people. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, have you ever eaten? And they mentioned a restaurant. And I said, you know, I went there one night and it's a long story, but I ended up in jail. <laughs> and they said, really? What happened? I said, ah... And I told it. He said, you think that's something? Let me tell you. And here's how our conversation went. You think that's bad? You think that's bad? You think that's bad? We forget this. We look at this world and we say, this world is screwed up. I hang around with a lot of old people and here's what they do. Every one of them, every day. They get up. They have coffee, they watch Fox News, they complain, and they buy gold. 
every one of them. Every day. And if they're priced out of the gold market, they're into silver now. Okay? But that's what they do. My life changed when I turned off talk radio. And I'm not putting that down. If you listen to that, that's fine. I'm just saying, you take that in, and all of a sudden, listen, listen to the conversation. It's one over another, over another, over another, over another. It's a zero-sum game with all these guys competing for a very narrow marketplace. Now, I don't want, if you've got thoughts on this, and you want to dialogue about this, and you want to email me about this, put in subject line, Talk Radio Fox, so that I can hit delete right away, okay? Because <laughs> I don't want to talk to, I'm not looking for a dialogue. I'm just telling you, you're going to drift right back, and that's what Paul's saying to Titus. You're going to drift right, you're one generation away from that. That's who you were. Here comes the great news. But, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and his love for mankind, what's that? Jesus. He saved us. He delivered us. We look around, and you don't need to be a sociologist. We see the world's a mess, the country's a mess, the state's a mess, the county's a mess. The city's a mess. And then we get to the core problem. You're a mess. And the problem is sin. I, I sat with a guy about six months ago, and he would be one of the top three or four guys in the state, politically, influentially. And we're talking about this, and he said, here's the problem. And he's a government guy. Here's the problem. The government is not equipped to handle the breakdown of the family. In both baby dedications today, you saw families who have stepped in because the government can't solve this. The government's not equipped to handle the breakdown of the individual. They spend all day managing sin. Making a rule, making a law. And when you come to that realization that you're messed up, your flinch is to fix it. That's called religion. I'm absolutely dead certain that there are some of you in this room right now who are here and I'm going to say, with relatively speaking, good motives to clean your act up, to get right. Here's what you got. You got two choices here. You got biblical Christianity and everything else. Those are your two choices. Biblical Christianity is a holy God, a holy God who appears to mankind, to save mankind. Everything else is a sinful man trying to appease a holy God. 
Here's what the Bible tells us, is to be saved. We use that word, I don't know if we even know. Saved from what? Well, from the wrath of God and the punishment of God and the bondage of sin, but he's motivated by, what a powerful word, right there, verse four, by love. My wife, Sandy, teaches a Monday morning women's Bible study. And uh, she was going to be gone last week. And she's, whenever she's gone, I teach. Um, I'm really in my wheelhouse with 75-year-old women. I mean, I'm really there. So they've been talking about, no offense, sorry. Uh, they've been talking about kind of some complicated stuff. So she said, do whatever you want to do. And I said, well, we know that's not true, or I would be going out there to begin with. So here's what I did. I thought, they've been really complicated. I'm going to give them theology that will kill them, blow them away. I gave them John 3.16. For God so loved. He's motivated by his love. He loves you perfectly. Uh, Sandy and I were at dinner not long ago, and, and Sandy and I have been married 47 months. <laughs> and I'm working on this, I'm working on this talking thing. So I said to her, Sandy's not here, she's coming at five, so this may not make the five o'clock service. <laughs> I said to her, I love you. And she said, why? I said, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I don't, I wasn't, I didn't want to discuss, it's not like opening a topic here. Let me go to Walgreens and get a card and some guy from Kansas City will tell me, well, I don't know. So I saw it, so, okay collect myself, okay. there's obvious, you know, you're pretty, you're attractive and those things, but man, that'll tri she'll feel trivialized. I said, well, you know, I, you're a godly gal. <laughs> she said, okay, that's good. I said, you're very bright, very disciplined. You're, you're, you're in great shape. You look good. And she said, would you love me if I was ugly? Well, I'm not near prepared for wherever <laughs> this is going to go. I, this is only going to go to a dark place. For me. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be here, but yeah. And, and here's what she got at. And it, it took two seconds to unravel it. I love her a lot. And I've learned a lot about love and life and all that. And I, and I re really love her. But still that love is, is conditional. She's done stuff for me in the last four years that, that I, you can't even imagine. Just the personal care and hygiene of what you need when you get nothing but they can always be a little nicer here 
Our love, okay? Some, some of you right now, I love Gateway. I wish they had a Gateway Redemption sticker. I'd put it on my car. And six months from now, you'll be hacked off because of something Luke did or whatever. Or they didn't sing the right song. Or your kid didn't get the star. Got a silver one. Should have got a blue one. I don't know. I just know how this thing goes. Okay? We love conditionally. God loves you unconditionally. Big deal, okay? Not a lot of note-taking, but that's okay. You, you, this one you write down. This one you remember. God loves you in spite of you, not because of you. That's what this verse says. God loves you. He, he, he washed you. How good does that feel? And he regenerated you. And he poured out on us richly Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, I'm saved by grace, God's grace, not, not based, I mean, look at, we can go back to wherever it is, verse 5, not based on a, our deeds, not based on what we did, but by God's grace. No one convinced us. No one argued in us into the kingdom. God gave us grace. Max Licato writes this in, in his book, In the Grip of Grace. He said, ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion or relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. Here's that salvation we're talking about. Again, from the pen of Max Locato. Please note, salvation is God-given, God-driven, God-empowered, God-originated. It's not a gift from man to God, but God to man. Grace is created by God and given to man, and on the basis of that point alone, Christianity is set apart from every other religion in the world. Every other approach to God is a bartering system. If I do this, God will do that. I'm either saved by works, what I do, emotions, what I experience, or knowledge, what I know. But then he writes this sentence, how great is this? By contrast, Christianity has no whiff of negotiation at all. Man is not the negotiator. Indeed, God has no grounds from which to negotiate. And, and then we've, I've got, oh, I've got a minute, and he made us heirs to the hope of eternal life. Now, eternal life begins now. I look back and I see he has saved me from that sin. He's transforming my life. He's saving me now. He's writing this letter. He's telling these people, in this world, you're different. You're godly. You have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the reason you have that is not because you're disciplined, not because you're wired that way, but you have the Holy Spirit. And then 
to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Last week I went to three funerals for a 24-year-old, a 74-year-old, and a 94-year-old. And I conducted two of the three. And the 94-year-old was really interesting. Whenever you're that age, you're, you're not a lot of peers left. But there were some older people there, and we did a share time. And so this guy got up, and he said, I was Dr. Pertzer's mentor. And I thought, now there's a guy I need to seek out and see what he's got. But, but think about this as we close. The point I made was that at that moment, a week before, think about this. Dr. Pertzer took his last breath on earth and his first breath in heaven. What Paul's saying to Titus, and and and. And, and I do that. What Paul's saying to us is you've been saved by grace. You've been delivered. You didn't do anything. I did it all. I sent Jesus. He died for you. The Holy Spirit caused you to be born again. You're in his kingdom today by grace and by grace alone. And now, if all I wanted to do was get you to heaven, pop, I would have taken you there me 20, 30 years ago. But I left you here for a reason and it's to be salt and light in the midst of this world as it gets I, I just tougher and tougher, more combative, more on edge, you bring a calmness. You know Jesus. You're indwelt with his spirit. Because you're different, you live differently. And it all goes back to that cross.